and welcome to episode 130 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Sophie Book. E.T. Sorry, E.T. You don't you don't get to be a Patreon subscriber. You can keep your money <laughs> and go back to space. <laughs> Sarah. Rebecca Connolly. Sophie Carr. Kaya Johnson. Naomi Roots. Jennifer Berger. Lucy Catherine Wood. Jess Mitchell. Sam. Craig Moore. Jesse. Annie O'Connell Torgerson. Sarah McIntyre. Jordan Penn. Malin Von Schoting. Hannah Seymourson. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you. We appreciate you. We are thankful for you every single day. And our film review this week. Our film review is Things Heard and Seen. Things Heard and Seen was released in 2021. It has 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Why, yes, please. An artist relocates to the Hudson Valley and begins to suspect that her marriage has a sinister darkness, one that rivals her new home's history. Before we start this film review, I'm going to tell you now there's going to be spoilers left, right and centre. It's going to be a big spoilerville. So if you're desperate to watch this film, don't listen to this film review, skip it, come back to this episode, whatever you need to do, because I'm going to ruin it for you, because I've got so much to say about this film. What were your thoughts on this film? This film ruined it for me. (laughs) What, ruined thoughts for you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I liked it for the whole, for the majority of the film, I liked it. There were bits that I was a bit, like, disappointed in, so they did, like, the thing that we usually complain about in that they showed the ghost which we didn't need to see. They did some good job, good work with the ghost where it wasn't quite visible. I was happy with that. There were some kind of religious undertones going on, which were weird, odd. But then the ending, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what, what was the, do you know what, what I found really interesting about this film is that it was a haunted house story, but also a psychological thriller, but it was a haunted house story like one we would get sent into us. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't overly dramatised except when we saw the woman that was haunting the house, which kind of ruined it. But you had like her waking up at night to a mysterious smell that she just couldn't quite figure out. Her finding random things in the house and not understanding where they came from. Their daughter saying that she she was seeing a woman at night time, like little electrical anomalies. Things that I would read in a story on a Wednesday and we would talk about it and I thought that was really interesting because they didn't try and push it too far with the haunting and then they ruined it completely destroyed any integrity the film had with the stupid ending I'm still angry about it they created characters really well here I feel like because the man was despicable like I despised him from the dot he was a terrible horror dad he was just, you just wanted him to get his comeuppance. Sorry that I interrupted you, but he wasn't even like a a bad horror dad where you, where he goes to the house and he has some sort of weird, like, explanation or excuse for his behaviour where it's like, oh, the house is doing it to him. Or the reason he's behaving like this is because he's under pressure. No, this guy was just a bastard. He was just a horrible, terrible man. And I was with you all the way. I hated him. And the more terrible things that were revealed about his character, the more shocked I was, the more I hated him. So actually that storytelling arc was brilliant because what you were watching was a really emotionally abusive relationship, but in a really 
well done way that wasn't gratuitous it wasn't overdramatic and it was probably realistic to what a really emotionally abusive relationship would be like she had her own issues she gave up everything for him went and moved to the countryside for him to this big house he in that classic horror movie dad way knew what had happened in the house that was only the start of his being a bastard but I will say there is a PSA that needs to go with this film and that is that if you have problems in your marriage and your house is haunted the answer is not for you to simultaneously have sex with 19 year olds both of you okay that's not going to answer any of your problems don't do it it's a terrible thing to do it makes me lose any interest in you as a character if you're going to have sex with teenagers okay that's my PSA about this film I contradict that by saying it added to the hatred. So I think it was actually a good <laughs> writing point. The biggest it, problem I have with this is that they created this wonderful character that you hated so much and all you wanted was for him to get his comeuppance. He kind of got his comeuppance, but then they just let him sail off into hell, which I didn't even think was possible. I don't know if that's some kind of river sticks thing. I get there was like a there was like a, a round thing with the picture, like it was the picture upside down. I get that. I understand what they were trying to do. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. It's awful. It was just terrible. Like, if you've got a man who's that bad, that's shocking. And like I said, any time we were, it was revealed a little bit more of all the terrible things he had done, more of me wanted to punch him in the face repeatedly. I wanted to see him get his comeuppance. I wanted him to go to prison. I wanted him to, like, have a terrible time. And then we ended up with this bizarre metaphor where Dan's not exaggerating. He literally sailed off into hell. It's like they got to the end of the film and said, OK, we've done this like weird psychological horror thriller where there's a haunted house element and then there is this bad relationship element and, uh, oh shit, we have to end it. Uh, what do we do? Make it a metaphor. Make it metaphorical. Everybody loves that. No, they don't. Everyone hates that. In many ways, I would have preferred the Darth Maul demon from Insidious to come and eat him. I, th- I feel like that would have been a better ending than the one we got. Do you know what? I would have celebrated. I would have cheered. I really would have. Because at the end, we were like, please don't let this be the end. Please don't let this be what happens. And it got really weird. It went, you said at one point that it was like a religious movie, like, like a daytime TV religious movie. It went really weird at the end. And there was that strange narrative of like the evil will get their comeuppance. The evil will, will you know, will get theirs. Well, they didn't actually because I just saw him sailing away and it really fucking annoyed me. I wanted to see him get his on earth, not in metaphorical hell. God, I'm, ve- I'm actually getting wound up. I'm very stressed out by this. I think for all the rage, it's worth noting that I think up until the last 20 minutes, this was actually a pretty good film. I was enjoying it. They did some things that annoyed me, but it was minor irritants, whereas the ending just ruined the entire thing for me. And it's such a shame because actually I thought they were doing, like we said, with the character creation, they were doing really well. Maybe don't cast Amanda Seyfried as your leading lady. She's not very good. But other than that, it was pretty good. So if you... You know, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it and you're still thinking about watching it, at the point where the horrible man goes to get into a boat, just turn it off there Mm. and you've seen a good movie. And imagine that he has a terrible, terrible... What's the word I'm looking for? Comeuppance. I've said that about 17,000 times in this. But he has a terrible, terrible reward for all the terrible things that he's done. That's all you need to imagine. I just found it so strange. The whole thing was strange. There's a lot of talk at the moment about, like, narcissistic personalities and gaslighting in relationships and actually I thought this film portrayed that really well really really well and portrayed the nuance of it because I think it's misused often 
And then they just threw it all out the window with like, <laughs> turn into a weird religious movie. I don't understand what happened. I, I want to write to somebody. This, is, this feels like my open house because it was such a disappointment. I want to write to somebody and say, look, you took an hour and a half of my time and I actually, I'm going to charge you more for the 20 minutes at the end. Okay, so actually you owe me about three hours of my time back. Thank you very much. Signed, Emma. I have had messages that where many people agree that this is on a par with Open House. It's not for me because I feel like it did a very good job up until the last 20 minutes, whereas Open House was trash from start to the end. I get the art thing. I, I get that what they were trying to do, they just blew it all in the end. I'm going to stop now. This feels like it was very rambly, but it was because I hated it so intensely and I've thought about it all week actually but in a bad way usually films like that when they stay with me all week I'm like oh yeah that's really messed me up no this one because I kept thinking about what they should have done (laughs) and what they shouldn't have done (laughs) and why the two adults in this situation should not have tried to sort out their situation by having sex with teenagers I'm still not over that bizarre what would you give this film out of five prior to the last 20 minutes it's a solid four out of five but I have to go two and a half or lower because the ending just trashed everything that they'd created. I'm going to say it too. It can't be my open house because I've said that it portrays a haunted house story interestingly in that it was subtle, but also portrayed the nuance of of an abusive relationship interestingly. But my God, that last 20 minutes, devastating. Which brings us to our story this week, where I rewrite the ending (laughs) and give you 20 minutes of what should have happened to that man (laughs) it's not good but it is a haunted house story okay do you know anything about the monte cristo house in australia i know nothing about any haunted house in australia so you're on to a winner exciting let's do this we've discussed many haunted house stories on this show but I don't think we've discussed any with a history that is quite so tragic. Christopher William Crawley built the Monte Cristo homestead in 1884, and it was, and still is, a stunning building. It is both foreboding and beautiful, and sits atop a hill overlooking the town of Juni in New South Wales in Australia. Crawley had had miserable luck in the years prior to the building of the homestead, and had literally been living in a slab hut on the land. His fortunes changed when he invested wisely in the railway hotel industry and managed to build a railway hotel in the town of Juni, which not only hugely increased his own income, but also caused a town to grow up around it. Monte Cristo became symbolic of his wealth, the founding of the town and his devout Catholicism. The homestead became the epicentre of society life in Juni and hosted balls and dances, while the local gentry idled away their days there playing tennis or golf. The Crawleys raised seven children in the home, all of whom were well-educated and musically talented. Mrs Elizabeth Crawley was remembered as actively trying to emanate Queen Victoria in her look and always dressed in a high-necked black gown with a lace cap. It all sounds incredibly idyllic, but two events have tainted what appeared to be the perfect Victorian couple. Crawley died in 1910 after a somewhat freakish incident. He died of heart failure, but the heart failure was caused by his collar being starched to within an inch of its life. No, seriously. 
Starched collars were the in thing, and as a man of status, his collar was obviously starched to be as white as snow and as stiff as a board, and subsequently lethal. He had a spot on his neck which had become infected from the constant rubbing of his harsh collar. This led to blood poisoning, which led to heart failure. He left his estate to his wife Elizabeth, and she did not cope well with the death of her husband. She built a chapel upstairs in the homestead and became a complete recluse. She reportedly only left the house twice until her death when she was 92 years old. After the death of Mr Crawley and the subsequent isolation of Mrs Crawley, stories began to emerge that the Crawleys were perhaps not the model Victorian couple that they had desperately tried to portray. Tales circulated of horrific mistreatment and abuse of the staff of the homestead at the hands of the Crawleys, and the veneer of piety and respectability began to slip. Rumours abound that Crawley had multiple sexual affairs with the servants of the household, which resulted in at least one pregnancy. There were numerous tragic and violent incidents that also may have contributed to Mrs Crawley's eventual complete isolation from society. They had a daughter, Magdalene, who had fallen down the staircase to her death at the age of 18 months. There are some who speculate that this was a tragic accident, some who believe it was an act of revenge from a member of the household staff who couldn't stand the level of abuse that she was suffering. Either way, the untimely death of a child is a woeful tragedy, regardless of the circumstances, and it seems that the tragedies in this household often seemed to revolve around children. There is the permanent bloodstain on the steps at the front of the home, where a servant girl plummeted to her death. She was pregnant at the time, with what was rumoured to be Mr Crawley's baby. And of course, there was speculation as to whether she fell to her death, whether she jumped to her death, or whether she was pushed to her death. To this day, a stain remains on the step where bleach was allegedly used to scrub away the bloodstains. The ghost of a boy is said to haunt the stables. He was burnt to death when his straw mattress was set alight. Apparently he said he was too sick to go to work that day, so his master set fire to the bed to teach him a lesson. In 1961, a local boy entered the grounds and shot a caretaker dead, after allegedly being inspired by the movie Psycho. When the Crawleys were alive, the locals told stories of a monster that lived on the grounds of the Monte Cristo house. The sound seemed to come from a cottage that sat on the homestead grounds. The monster would howl and cry in the night and local children began to dare each other to approach the cottage to catch a glimpse of the beast. The children would get close enough to hear the chains rattling and the howls and growls and hissing of the terrifying creature within. Except it wasn't a monster. It was a human being. It was a man named Harold Steele. Harold's mother was a housekeeper and died shortly after giving birth to him. There is speculation that the child was the illegitimate child of the housekeeper and Mr Crawley. At some unspecified point in his life, Harold was involved in a near-fatal carriage accident and suffered a serious brain injury as a result. His behaviour became violent and uncontrollable and it resulted in him being chained up in a cottage on the land. 
He remained chained there for at least 30 years. And the chain is still there to this day. There is a gaping hole in the wall around where the chain and the wall meet, which is apparently the result of the wall being worn away by Harold's desperate movements for 30 years. In 1963, Reg and Olive Ryan took the bold step of purchasing the Monte Cristo house for £1,000. By this stage, it was a shell of its former self, a veritable ruin, and they had a huge task stretched out before them. They had three children and another one on the way, so the mammoth task was somehow even bigger. At this point in its history, the home consisted of the main house, which was terribly run down, a cottage and servants' quarters, stables, a wooden ballroom and acres of land. The strangeness began almost immediately when Reg and Olive drove to the homestead one evening to deliver some equipment. They looked in shock as they drove up the long drive. Light poured out from every window of the homestead. It was like a beacon on the hillside, illuminated brilliantly. Their shock was so because no part of the house was connected to any sort of electricity. The only thing they had was one single kerosene lamp and that wasn't even lit. This wasn't dim, flickering candlelight. It was brilliantly bright. The Ryans thought they were being burgled or their new home had been invaded by squatters. They hurriedly parked the car and by the time they had gotten out, the mansion was still, silent and completely dark but they had both seen it lit up. They checked every inch of the house, convinced that someone must be in there, but there was no one there, and they could never figure out where the light had come from. They were perplexed, but did not immediately assume anything paranormal. Of course, they had heard the stories about the homestead, but they weren't particularly interested in them or really bothered by them. So they put the incident to the back of their mind and continued with their arduous task. Eventually they moved in with their children. They had to begin small and renovate room by room and Reg and Olive grew used to lying in bed at night, in the pitch black darkness, staring at the ceiling as the sound of high heels clip-clopped across the floor above them. They hadn't started renovating the upstairs yet and the floor was dangerous and full of holes but the heels strode with purpose and confidence down the hallway and across the veranda. They had checked the first few times, but soon realised that the high-heeled footsteps weren't the mark of the living, but they were the sound of someone long dead. Reg and Olive didn't discuss it with anyone, and just accepted that this was going to be a quirk of the house. And then the voices started. Quiet at first almost inaudible but becoming louder and louder. The voices would boom and echo and come in rushed whispers, calls, shouts, questions and snippets of conversations not quite distinguishable. Items began to move around the house, disappearing and reappearing in odd places and the Ryan children began to talk about some very odd happenings. Their friends would come and have sleepovers and refuse to come back because they were too frightened to return but it was an event in 1977 that caused Olive and Reg to begin to take the events in their house seriously. Lawrence Ryan was only a little boy, and his parents had been hosting a party in the house. 
His sister was 12 and had been tasked with putting him to bed and checking on him every so often to make sure that he was sleeping soundly. She popped in a few times and everything was fine. But the last time she went to check on Lawrence, she felt different. She stood outside the bedroom door and felt an icy chill. The air was frigid and she was inexplicably terrified. She slowly opened the door and peered around it and the room was freezing. Lawrence was sound asleep, but standing at the end of his bed was a man. She had never seen this man before. He was staring at Lawrence, wearing old-fashioned clothes and had a big beard. As she looked in horror, the man seemed to realise that she was there and turned his head and stared at her with a look of pure rage and malice. She screamed and fled, alerting her parents that there was a strange man in Lawrence's room, but no man was found. And later, in pictures, she identified the man as Christopher William Crawley. As with all of our haunted house stories, there is the question of why the family stayed. And, as always, it was partly financial. They had pumped all of their money into it. But it was also pure stubbornness on the part of Olive Ryan. She said, and I quote, If I'm to leave this house, they'll have to take me out feet first. I'm going to be the next ghost. Mrs Crawley is also a presence that is regularly heard, seen and felt in the home. She appears in a gust of cold air and a sensation that is akin to the feeling of snow falling on your skin. She also regularly can be heard shouting, get out, throughout the house. There are also numerous reports of visitors entering particular rooms and becoming so overwhelmed with sorrow that they burst into tears and children are regularly rendered breathless and panicked on the staircase where Magdalene Crawley perished. In 2017, Australian reporter Sean Lynch spent a night in the Monte Cristo homestead as part of a special report for a TV show called The Circle. Widely accepted as a joker, Sean experienced more than he bargained for on this trip. When he returned to the studio to report his findings later in the week, he seemed visibly rattled by the experience. So much so that it was commented on multiple times by his co-hosts. The segment opened with an interview with the lead actor and director of a film that was based on the Monte Cristo house and shot on location. The director claimed to have seen an apparition of Mr Crawley and fled the house on one of the nights of filming and the lead actor said that he would never spend another night in the house after spending four nights there filming. That night, Sean refused to go to bed. At 3am he asked the crew to come with him on a walk around and in the process of it, three people in the group saw a man in a black suit walk past the window of the room that Sean was meant to be sleeping in. At 3.30, the team were in the stable where the boy was allegedly burned to death, and the lights began to pulse and flicker, getting brighter and brighter, and then suddenly dimming down just as a fire poker fell from the fireplace. You could explain these instances as a trick of the light or a spooky coincidence, or even faulty light fittings. However, there was one story from the trip that really interested me, and that was what the sound tech experienced. Sound techs will usually have headphones on and carry a boom mic so that they can accurately move to pick up the desired sound. 
Twice the sound guy picked up inexplicable noises. And maybe noises isn't the right description, because they were full whispered sentences. Every weekend, the Monte Cristo house runs tours. And this weekend, the tour was going ahead as normal, with the added extra of the TV crew. During the touring section of the stay, the sound man picked up a little voice that whispered, We don't want tours here anymore. And later in the tour, he heard a whisper in his headphones that said, Turn around. And when he did, there was nothing behind him except a wall. And on that wall, there was a picture. It was a picture of people being tortured. There are many ways that we could look at the Monte Cristo house, and there seems to be a lack of concrete evidence that the alleged events took place. Is it possible that the Ryan family stoked the rumours of the 11 deaths that reportedly took place on the property in order to turn a profit? Maybe. The house is now a B&B and operates ghost tours. Reg Ryan became an antiques dealer and kitted out the house as it would have been in the Victorian era. It's also possible that the stories are fabricated or exaggerated and based on local lore and legend. However, at the time and for years afterwards, there was horrendous ill-treatment of the Aboriginal community, of the mentally ill and of unmarried mothers. So the events in the stories may sound abhorrent today, but they actually were unfortunately not terribly uncommon at the time. It's possible that the stories of the Monte Cristo house are a culmination of various events that happened around the area and were amalgamated into one household that represented colonial power and oppression. Or it might be that the Monte Cristo house is just that haunted. This place sounds very haunted to me. Lots of going-ons. The added bonus of having a place with lots of going-ons, as you've so <laughs> eloquently put it, and multiple ghost tours, is that there are lots of photos of spooky stuff from this house. Oh, no. No, no, so, no. No. We're going to look at three photos. No. The link to these particular pictures is in the description of this episode. They've also been posted on posted on Instagram and on Facebook. But we're only going to look at three. I'm not going to tell you the spooky thing that's in the photo, but I want you to describe the photo that you are seeing. Okay, first one. Okay, so the first one is clearly a flash photo that has taken place in a mirror. So we're just looking at the mirror and we're seeing a lady's reflection who is holding a phone or a camera of some description and then a bright light, which is the flash. I don't know what's scary. <laughs> The scary thing about this photo is the hand that you see that isn't holding the camera doesn't belong to anybody that is living in that photo. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, that is very clear. That's not just a reflection, is it? That's like, I mean, it is the reflection, but it's not just like a faint image. It's a very clear human hand. Yeah, so the the lady that's taking the photo's face is obviously reflected next to her almost isn't it no that's her friend standing next oh, to her. okay so her friend's standing next to her but that's covered by the light so it's very pale but that hand is um is very vividly clear it's good right and apparently according mm. to the two women in the photo that hand does not belong to either of them yeah i mean it's sort of biologically impossible to be the lady wearing black's hand because it's the wrong way around <laughs> so if that is her hand i mean that's more alarming that's probably more alarming than it being a ghost uh, and the other lady is dressed in white. 
And I'd imagine if that was a stranger putting their hand there, like an actual real person... Yeah, they get a dig in the face. Yeah, I mean, that's quite quite low down. Oh, creepy. So our second photo is this one. Okay, so again, it's another photo, a mirror in the background, but there's lots of stuff in front of the mirror this time. So we've got a carriage clock, black carriage clock in the middle, and then some candlesticks either side, a nice purple vase on the far left-hand side. And then in the reflection, we've got two paintings. I can't tell you what they are because I can't tell what they are. <laughs> one looks like a landscape, one looks like a people. And then there's a weird boy's head. A boy's head that was not in the room at the time. I mean, this is very clear. That's creepy. So allegedly this photo was taken and the person who took it, I don't think it was the owner of the house, but they believe it is the ghost of a maid who used to work in the house. And you can very, it does look like a person's reflection in the picture. Interesting. I'm trying to debunk this and I'm not really sure what else it could be other than someone's head, to be honest. It's very odd. I don't like it. And I've got one more to show you. And this last one is... So we've got a picture of a single bed with a lovely thing over the top of it. What's that called? Like a princess bed kind of thing. Where, you know, it's like it's got the canopy over it. There's um, a little, like, chest of drawers. Oh, my God. I've just noticed what that is. Oh, what is that? Uh, Sorry, I'll carry on describing. So there's a chest of drawers. There's a mirror, crucifix, side little side table, some stuff on the side table, and a, a painting. And then there's a door. Oh, man, that's really clear, isn't it? There's a door. And then across the wooden part of the door, so not in the glass, there is a figure of a of a lady in a, in a white dress. And that is really odd. I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, with all of these, they could be film photos, I guess. And you never know with mm-hmm. film photos. Whether it could be double exposure yeah. or anything like that. But that is very creepy looking. They're just interesting photos, aren't they? And I came across them while I was doing my research for this story. And I... Uh, I just found them really interesting, so I thought I'd post them online and show them to you and see what you thought before we delved into this story and you picked it apart. So the Monte Cristo house, what are your thoughts? Um, It sounds really scary. I don't want to go there. I, l- I wasn't planning that. I wasn't going to surprise you like Oprah. <laughs> and you had to go well, to Australia. Australia is one of the places <laughs> that we can go to. It's on the list. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, I wasn't planning on it. So. Okay, good. Um, Yeah, it's super scary, right? Like, I just found it quite interesting at the start where you said about Mrs. Crowley being quite, or them being quite a fan of Queen Victoria. Mm. And then when her husband died, she does what Queen Victoria does, which has become a recluse when her husband died, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Obviously, it's hard to be a recluse when you're the queen of a country. (laughs) Yes, that is true. But it's also very easy for the public perception of you Mm. to be that you're a recluse because they don't see you on a day-to-day basis. I didn't know that about Queen Victoria. I know very little about the English monarchy, but that is interesting. And I, in pictures of her, and the pictures of, of her are very disturbing. Just just as, you know, Victorian pictures often were, nobody knew how to smile in those days, apparently. There's just very scary pictures. She does look like she is trying to emanate Queen Victoria. It's really interesting. But I didn't know that Queen Victoria did that too. That's potentially a Queen Victoria thing anyway, because I don't think she was very smiley. So I'd imagine it might just it might just be a continuation of this uh, gimmick that she was going into. But that's not really haunted, so that doesn't really matter. I don't like any of the stories. They're all a bit creepy. The guy being chained up, like, who fed him for 30 years? Yeah, that's such a terrible story. And do you know what? The, the really 
the really horrible thing about this was it led me down a path that I had to reverse back up very quickly and there are lots of like haunted what do they call them they call them girls homes but they were it was it was when they took the aboriginal girls just took them and put them into girls homes and st- like awful awful ways that people were treated uh, whether they were Aboriginal people, whether they were people with mental health issues and whether they were, you know, unmarried mothers, whatever. I actually wasn't particularly surprised of the story of Harold because if it was an, if it was true and it was an illegitimate child of the man of the house who is this publicly, this very Catholic, pious man who's having sex with all his servants. In public. What? You said publicly he is this very pious man who's having sex with all his servants. <laughs> I mean, is it any wonder that people started to dislike them after a while? <laughs> he's just having sex everywhere and nobody knows how to tell him to stop. Um, but he's, you know, privately then having sex with his servants and, and you know, they're both very violent to their to their um, staff. Like, is, is it really that beyond the realms of possibility that he would be that ashamed of this child? that they would chain him up. I mean, it, it, it's awful. And it, as as modern people, we go, oh my God, that's... But I mean, things like that still happen today, so... Yeah, no, I was just... I was more intrigued with the practicalities of it because in order to be chained up and survive for 30 mm. years, someone's got to look after you. So there must have been someone that was aware of him that... Yeah, if it was true. Mm. I mean, the other staff in the house must have been aware of him and maybe they were the ones that fed him and stuff if, if it was true. It's just, that's the part of this story, I think, that was the most harrowing. And it kind of, he, apparently Harold ended up in an asylum when he was found and then died a couple of years later. And that led me down a road of various asylums. And I just got to stop reading because they were just awful. I mean, with the kind of things that were going on here, as commonplace as they might be, is it any, is it surprising that there's that much energy lingering around that stuff is happening? The thing that really got to me was the story of the co-host of the circle and when he was doing his 3am walk around when like three other people saw a guy in black walking around that's really creepy and, and standing over the lawrence's bed which is obviously a separate story but it's the same kind of figure right when i watched that interview or that segment of the circle i i, I kind of emphasized how shook he was because he's even i i've never seen the tv show the circle in my life or any australian tv he's really shook like really shook. He's really jittery. He's clearly a seasoned TV person. And they keep saying to him, like, you clearly aren't over this. And he's like, no, I'm not over it. I'm really not over it. Also, Australian TV watchers, can you please tell me if it's commonplace to swear on morning TV? Because he says, the guy says in the interview, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the accent, but he's like, I'm not going to lie. I'm shitting myself right now. Morning TV. And then he's, (laughs) he's doing the rest of the segment in the studio. And he's like, look, I know I'm a bit of a dick. When I'm when I'm in this studio, and I was like, "Wow, this is morning TV. I love it." <laughs> is that is that commonplace? Is that acceptable? I don't know. So please, if you're an Australian listener, fill me in. I want to know. I'm desperate to know. <laughs> I think he's saying something as well when it's the host that's kind of known for being a bit boisterous and a bit upbeat. That suddenly there's a complete switch in mood. You know, we've watched a little bit of Most Haunted recently. <laughs> Just in the background. I can't believe that show was commissioned for so long. <laughs> and none of them, you know, none of the, them being, none of the characters or people on there being shook would particularly surprise me. It would just be part of the show. But I feel like when you've got a character that's known for being boisterous, known for being a bit of a joke, bringing the light relief to something that's potentially quite serious and scary, if he then becomes scared, that's saying quite a lot, right? 
Yeah, it was really interesting and it's quite a regular thing. I, like, I found loads of TV reports of like different reporters, journalists, whatever, going to visit this house. So it is seems to be quite a common tourist attraction for people to go and do. Um, it's $195 to stay the night and have dinner and breakfast, just so you know. In case anybody's wondering. I mean, you showed me the how the homestead, a picture of the homestead, and it does look really nice mm. on the outside, but I'm not really willing to have someone standing over my bed in the middle of the night or people whispering at me to turn or to turn to look round and then see pictures of people being tortured on the wall. Which I can only presume is some kind of classical painting, you know, in the style of tortured souls go to hell. Kind of like our movie. Maybe they were on a boat sailing to hell. Oh fucking hell. <laughs> Don't even don't even get me started again because I'll start ranting. I'll it'll go off the rails. It'll be twenty minutes of me talking about how it was a bad metaphor. But yeah, I think it, you're probably right. It was probably some sort of depiction of tortured souls or depiction of of heaven and hell or some sort of I don't know whatever classical painting. Yeah, but it, it's um, it was I thought it was a really interesting bit of the story mm. because obviously when we, you know last week we talked about um it, like telephones and and the dead being able to like speak into telephones and I said about how one of the only things I kind of had any faith in was EVP electronic voice phenomenon and if you have a boom mic that's designed to pick up small noises it makes sense that you would be the one that would hear little souls whispering and being like fucking sick of these tours sick of it <laughs> that's essentially what the ghostly voice was saying as well it's like mm, probably need to wrap these up because they're getting really irritating now thank you i couldn't be a sound engineer because i'd be hearing everything they'd all be talking to me and then i'd be dead when we when we do our paranormal visiting series you're just gonna have ear defenders on the entire time <laughs> if anything's happening i'm not gonna hear it <laughs> i should also have really dark glasses on as well so i can't see anything i'll be fine i couldn't find any evidence or information, by the way, of where these stories about these deaths actually came from. So I couldn't figure out if they were like local lore or whether it was one of those situations where the family got a medium in and a medium said, oh, this is what I'm picking up. And then that becomes the local lore. So I'm not really, I'm not entirely sure where where the records or the stories of these deaths are even the one from 1961 from the kid allegedly shooting the caretaker which might well have happened but I just yeah I I can't I just couldn't find a, a, a definitive answer as to where these stories had originated I also listened to a lot of uh, and read a lot of really dramatized versions <laughs> of this story where it was like Mr Crawley made a deal with the devil and there, none of there was nothing demonic or satanic about this entire, you know, this entire house. But obviously, the legend is, is that terrible things happen there, and it's still really haunted. I think there's probably an element of there being value to any place that does ghost tours to having plenty of ghost stories to go with that. I, you know, whether we're talking complete fabrication or just dramatizing them a little bit more than they there is to them like so maybe a stable boy did die in a fire in a stable but it wasn't his boss that set light to him to teach him a lesson for not going to work do you know what i mean like it the more dramatic it is the better the story i think so there's probably an element of fabrication but i think what you can't contend with is the level of stories and evidence that go alongside that because you've got you've shown me photos and then you've got those you know the later experimentations is not the right word what do i mean <laughs> the later investigations by various different people that seem to have shown up some kind of evidence but those photos are odd i'll give you that much 
Yeah, they're definitely odd and it might be that they're double negatives or it's superimposed in a in a modern sense and made made it look like it was taken on a disposable camera, whatever. But it, it's definitely odd and it's definitely interesting. And lis- listening to the original, so I think Reg Ryan is, is dead now, I think, but he did a really great interview and he um, he's just like a normal guy. And he was like, I want somebody to explain to me how the whole house was lit up. That's what I want. I, if somebody can explain that to me, brilliant. I've never been able to explain it. I don't understand how it happened. That is the one thing that I just can't get my head around. And I was like, yeah, it's a really good point because footsteps, whatever you could say, oh, it's in my imagination or it's the house settling or it's a new house and I'm hearing things and I'm putting two and two together. But they both saw the whole house lit up. And that is clearly the thing for him that he will never be able to let go. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes, you know, even if that is the only thing that's true, which I'm not saying at all, don't don't read me wrong, but even if that is, it's that level of conviction again, isn't it? And how do you like? How do you explain a house that has no electricity being lit up like that? It to that extent, it doesn't make any sense. And it's not the first time we've had stories like that where the house is completely lit up and then gone dark, and nobody really knows what has happened or how it's happened. It's interesting. I thoroughly enjoyed the research for this week's episode. I found it really fascinating. All the research links, as always, are in the description for this episode, and I would recommend having a read of all the different stories about this place because they're they're just it's really fascinating history really fascinating and it's it's a period of history that is obviously awful and it's interesting to see how the narrative switches from the Crawleys being these upstanding members of society they are the beacon of what it means to be a Victorian couple they're wealthy they're well to do they have everybody around and then the darkness that creeps into the story of like well how do they treat Aboriginal people not very well terribly and how do they actually behave in real life also not very well pretty terribly and what does that mean for like in a wider context it was just it was a really interesting research time for me it's a very sort of not complex, but it's a very there's a lot going on in for haunted houses, and there's a lot of a lot of stuff to report about. Yeah, a lot of layers, yeah. a lot of layers to it. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. The links to everything, as always, are in the description of this episode. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.